Welcome to Meta Talks. This podcast is brought to you by Meta. We support startups, industry and government with sustainable technology-driven innovation. Here you will hear from amazing individuals on topics around startups, innovation, sustainability and dive deeper into industries like aerospace or energy. Welcome to another episode of Meta Talks. I'm your host, Xenia, and today I'll be sitting down with Anne Roberts and Alistair Mort, the co-founders of Scotland-based startup Mime Technologies. Mime is a medtech spin-out from the University of Aberdeen. Their remote medical software supports cabin crew to manage in-flight medical events and emergencies. Their work helps reduce unnecessary flight diversions and improve casualty outcomes. It really is impressive technology and a mission we're really excited about here at Meta. We enjoyed working with Anne, Alistair, and the team during the second ATI Boeing Accelerator cohort that we wrapped up earlier this year in April. In this episode, we talk about how the company first started. Anne and Alistair share their advice for university spinouts, and we also dive deeper into what needs to improve in the wider ecosystem so that we can see more spinout success. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Alistair and Anne. Thank you for joining uh, Meta Talks for this episode. It's been a little while since we last uh, spoke, uh, since the ATI Boeing Accelerator. So I'd love to hear how you're doing and what's new. Hi, Senia. Well, thank you for having us on the program. We're delighted to, to speak with you today. And yes, I mean, it's been a whirlwind since the Boeing Accelerator program. It passed so quickly. We were delighted to be part of that um, and, and really benefited MIME as, as we've come along. I think when we first started out on that journey at the beginning of the program um, in January, it's fair to say that you know we're in the, we were in the midst of a second wave of coronavirus and um, challenges in, in the aviation industry. And the experience of the Boeing Accelerator program has really helped our company significantly not just during that time have we built up a new ecosystem in, in the industry of our own, but also we've had introductions to potential clients um, and industry leaders across the globe. Um, so we're working hard. We're in the midst of our next round investment at the moment. Um, the team have their heads down doing that. And we're also working on a project with Cranfield University, which is part of the outcomes of the Boeing programme. And during this programme, we're going to be uh, undertaking airworthiness testing in flight with support of Cranfield and, and some of their partners. So lots happening, both um, at a, a business level and at an operational level. Um, the team are kept on their toes. That's amazing to hear. We at Meta are really excited to see what's next for you guys. And also saw that you met with Sir Martin Donnelly from Boeing the other week. So that must have been really nice to, to meet in person. I did. I did. Yes. Thank you to the Boeing team for that introduction and the opportunity to meet with Sir Martin. It was a, a fabulous experience. I met him in Edinburgh. He was here to look at some work in relation to the Scotland Boeing Alliance um, driving jobs and manufacturing in, in Scotland. I met him and, and his colleagues where we talked about several things. One of the first one of the things we talked about was, you know, obviously experience on the Boeing program, but 
how we can help and play a small part in um, improving the aviation industry as we come out of the coronavirus period and the world starts moving again. And we also talked about aspects of job creation in Scotland, uh, manufacturing and where mine wants to be in the future. So it was an absolute privilege to meet him um, and hopefully it won't be the first time. (laughs) Great. I'm so glad to hear that. And hopefully meeting people in person. We're going to get back to that really, really soon. To to kick off, I guess, maybe we could get a short introduction to MIME Technologies and your first response kit, Aber, and yeah, the technology behind it all. Sure. Um, So MIME is an acronym for Managing In-Flight Medical Emergencies. We're a spin-out company from the University of Aberdeen, and we focus on helping people that are away from professional medical care. So any environment where you don't have a medic to hand. And of course, aviation is one of those when you're 30,000 feet in the air and you don't have a a professional. I mean, some airlines will call perhaps for a volunteer on board, but you can't always be guaranteed that that's the right first responder. The best first responder is the trained first responder. So what we do is we produce technology that helps a first responder whilst they're managing an incident. So for aviation, this would mean during a flight, we can help them with the ABCs of first aid. We help to monitor the passenger and we share that data to doctors on the ground. What this allows them to do is open up an easy way of communication between the pilot, the crew and the doctors on the ground to make the right decisions at the right time for the passenger and what's best for passenger care. It will help to make the right diversion decisions or it will help to avoid any unnecessary diversions based on the data that comes from the technology that we have created. Amazing. And you're also working in maritime Yes, we are working in maritime as well. One of the silver linings of the whole coronavirus experience was that our company got uh, support from the Scottish government, something called the Early Stage Growth Challenge Fund, which was specifically designed for companies that were impacted by COVID, so industries that were heavily impacted. That funding allowed us to assess the product for other market spaces as well as aviation. So we spent a good bit of time during the depths of COVID looking at what other market spaces are applicable. And of course, maritime has the same problem as aviation. You have trained first responders on board in maritime, sometimes several days away from care as opposed to hours. So we, we've been developing a new prototype version for the maritime market, as well as CE marking and getting our aviation version ready for sales. That's really exciting. Yeah, amazing to hear that you've been able to go into other industries and this technology really has so much potential in so many other sectors as well. So maybe going back to the very beginning, question for Alistair is, you know, what was your PhD research and what was the turning point that led to the creation of of MIME Technologies? Sure, yeah. I mean, it all started when I was uh, working in in, uh, England in Farnborough for kind of doing military and commercial aviation research. And uh, I'd always wanted to do a PhD, but I never really found the right one. So I went on to findthephd.com, which as you do, there is there is such a website. And I found one in Inverness, which is looking at new technologies to monitor casualties in uh, remote and rural search and rescue. 
which is right up my street, being a, a, a physiologist, interested in things like breathing rates and, and heart rates and how you monitor these things in really difficult conditions. So, so yeah, the, the project kind of did a lot of qualitative research, speaking with cave rescuers, mountain rescuers, helicopter medics all over the country and, and down in England as well to, to look at um, really next generation technologies that you could literally kind of slap on the the chest and then you know wrap the person up in a casualty bag and try and kind of monitor them on on route and we found some really interesting technologies did some really interesting research and it was really just towards the end of the, the phd that the university of aberdeen was applying for uh well it, as it turned out to be it was the largest research grant it ever had um at the time that was the uh, the dot rural program which is run by the uk research council's digital economy program i think it was a 12 page application form and they got 12 million pounds for it and mine was the very first project in the um the 12 million pound hub in aberdeen so yeah but basically that that started just at the beginning of 2010 and ran as a as a research project effectively until we well we we spun out in 20 uh 2016 but really it was a, a truly a research project up until probably in the middle of 2015 and we did you know lots of interesting research we were out in the back of ambulances around Inverness and the Highlands with kind of new sensors that we were testing and we were looking at um, natural language generation and how you summarize data for different groups of individuals like um, paramedics and, and doctors and and also it was all about first responders so uh, as Anne said it's it's much the same now as it as it was then. It's about supporting the people who have got some first aid training but aren't medical professionals, but they could be miles away from support. And it's how you best support them when they might have quite a while to wait with the with the patient. That's really interesting. And you know, I tuned in yesterday to Anne speaking at the Aviate Plus launch event of Cranfield University, and looking kind of at your timeline from spinning out to now, that growth that you've had—it's—it's been—it's amazing. And you know, you applying to the ATI Boeing Accelerator, we obviously really loved your mission as a business. Thinking about the location, like you said, you know, you went to Inverness for your PhD. And thinking about the University of Aberdeen, looking at some of the reports that have come out on spinouts, university spinouts, we can see that you know a majority of them, I think a third, come from you know Oxford University, Cambridge University. Um, I think it was Imperial also in UCL. So a high concentration in London, Oxford, Cambridge. I'd be curious to know how active the network at, was at the University of Aberdeen and. You know, was that network really important in the early days of forming MIME? I would say that probably wasn't aware very much at the time of that network. I mean, obviously we had really close relationships with the university's kind of technology transfer team and their kind of commercial section. And we were maybe aware of some companies that had had spun out, but we probably weren't that aware of many others in the same position as us who were going through the same the same process. So it probably was really active, but maybe it's a symptom of well, you tend to just be kind of focused on your own ambitions really and you're just trying trying to kind of drive your own deal through it. 
at least that that was my recollection but Anne you might think or have different experiences of it no I agree Ali I think at the time you know you're you're so focused on your own company and you make the most of the entrepreneurial networks but I guess you're never really measuring how many of them there are one thing I have seen though is as as we spun out of the university and we started to interact in the entrepreneurial networks that are in Scotland. We identified that actually there's lots of university spin-outs. And one of the first times I realised this was on a, a competition called Scottish Edge, which is Scotland's most uh, active entrepreneurial competitions. And at that point, I realised just how many spin-outs are coming from other universities as well as Aberdeen because I was head to head with them in a competitive way we were part of this competition which thankfully we did well and I do think that it's becoming easier for spin outs to get support during the process of spinning out arguably perhaps um, mine was one of the earlier ones but now certainly over the last year or so that the support networks in Scotland um, in general in terms of helping companies navigate through that commercialisation process seem to be getting stronger and stronger. Whether the actual process is easier for the companies or not, that's another question. But certainly the support networks available once they are spun out of the university seem to be coming plentiful for the early stages of, of company life. That's really great to hear and really reassuring. And yes, I think that we've seen that as well as a team when it comes to Scotland and Scottish-based startups. So it's really exciting. And for, you know, MIME personally, as you were commercializing your PhD research, what were some of the ways or, or, or some of the things that the University of Aberdeen helped you in the early days? They were helpful in a number of kind of parts of it. I mean, they helped to form the company to begin with. We were able to access kind of intellectual property support kind of for for free through the, the university's kind of patent attorneys. We got some funding from the kind of commercial department when we were still in the latter stages of um, of the kind of academic kind of research because we, we, we also got funding from the Scotland's Digital Health and Care Institute when we were still in university. And so um, the university's commercial section kind of part funded that. So that was really, really helpful. I guess just always kind of being there, you know, you, you could always, you know, as, as academics, you're coming into it with really not that much kind of commercial experience, really. And so you are kind of relying upon the university's technology transfer team to kind of help guide you through it and you know consider things like when we applied to the Scotland's Converge Challenge for for university companies so we probably wouldn't have been aware of all that stuff if we hadn't had such a close connection with the university. Yeah that makes sense maybe thinking about the more challenging things around IP you know what what was their involvement in the IP process? I guess the, the university were always just trying to to make sure that the the well, the, I guess the university and the company had as much defensible intellectual property as as we could have done. So that's why we looked into um, into lots of things like uh, trademarking and patents at the time, because is it, it was in the university's interests to have a to have a strong kind of portfolio that the company could take to 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 market. So it's it was imperative that they they supported us with that in, in, in every every aspect of um, of intellectual property. 
Yeah, and I think the journey that you're sharing right now is it's really helpful for academic entrepreneurs who are interested in spinning out. Yeah, it's re- these insights are massively, massively helpful. And I know you were saying, you know, becoming a founder, I guess, and and how they were helping you navigate the world of business. You know, going from academia to starting your own company, what skills do you think are the most important to learn? One of the most pivotal things for us, well, there are probably two things. One was being introduced to um, business, or I guess it's business, but more of the kind of entrepreneurial kind of mindsets and the kind of business model canvas methodology or kind of, you know, running running lean, you know, as much as you can. And, and we, we got that through Highlands and Isles Enterprise because they ran uh, their kind of Pathfinder kind of business accelerator program. So we were they ran the first one at the beginning of 2014 and we were we were part of that cohort and actually i think we won an award and for for being like the most i don't know what it was but we, we won an award for it anyway and that that was i think three or four months of really intense uh, weekly you know going through every aspect of the business model canvas and thinking about the market and everything else to do with the business and that that was hugely important because it kind of showed the the principles of business. The other thing that um, we were lucky to have was well, I got an, a fellowship with the Royal Society of Edinburgh. They ran an um, kind of enterprise fellow program, which was uh, one year fully funded, where you could just completely focus on your business um, and spinning out of the university. So we got funding for that, and we got training as well all around the country with lots of other people from UK universities doing the same kind of thing. So I don't know. I think there's, there's so many things to that are different. There's there's lots of similarities, but there's, there are lots of lots of differences. I agree. I mean, we've we've had a lot of support and the skill set required. I guess aspects of the skill set can always be learned. I think that's kind of one of the key messages, isn't it? I mean, we were so lucky to get the training that we did and it was really relevant to our business. But actually, it's the mindset of the founders that's really important because if you don't have that that mindset from the outset, then you know companies will experience challenges. You have to be prepared to work long hours you have to be resilient you have to persevere you have to be prepared to pivot when when you see a, you know you're not going in the right direction or you're not getting product market fit I guess there's aspects of that that comes down to you know your determination as a person as well as the skill set that you can learn but definitely learning aspects of the commercial world before we spun out of the university really helped our journey. I mean, the lean startup model was fantastic. It was like a Bible that we could follow and it gave us a core way to work in the early days when you have very little cash flow and you're just starting out and finding your feet. The lean startup model is really excellent there. And I guess there's also an aspect that, you know, if you are a university spin out, then you you learn along the way and you adapt. You know, not, not everyone from a university spin-out has a a commercial mind. And that's one thing that we need to get better at in Scotland is as the spin-outs are coming out of the university, let's identify commercial skills. And if we don't have commercial commercial skills in, in the team, then let's find them and bring them into the team in the early days. We were quite lucky. I mean, Ali had background in working at Kinetic and some commercial space. And and likewise, I had uh, several different positions before the university. So we probably had a bit of a head start there. But 
I think being flexible to that journey and persevering and ensuring that you adapt as you go along is is one of the key things or one of the take-home messages I would give to any startups that are coming out of the university. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point around educating entrepreneurs on the commercial aspects. I think that's really essential, but also the resilience and determination and adaptability. That's something you can't teach. So you have to have that within yourself and absolutely so important. I also think that, you know, the team that you have behind you is a huge factor in your success. So I'd love to hear from you both about the formation of the team and you know, how do you, in the early days, maybe if you're a sole founder or, you know, how, how do you find the right co-founder and, and what do you look for? That's a really good question, Senia. I think the team is vital from the outset and Ali and I had some quite tough challenges at the beginning or tough choices, I should say, in relation to how that team forms you really need to focus on who in your team is going to give 100% to the business. And if there is a team member contributing at a research level that maybe has one foot still in their academic life and the other tapping into the business, then you should be thinking hard about whether they're the right people to take with you. And we did have some of those choices and they were difficult to make. One of the most difficult ones for us was the clinician involved in the research. Fantastic professor and clinician in his own right. We decided not to take him actively into the company at the time and and that was due to the balance of time he was able to give to the company. But however, what that did do was it made us realise the company had a team gap quite early on. And therefore, we looked to see if we could get input to fill that gap. Now, we ended up um, having input from our aviation medical advisor who spent 17 years at Virgin Atlantic and is very experienced both as a medic, but crucially in the industry that we're operating And that was the right choice for us. Forming the team is not an easy process. I mean, Ali and I, we we started out uh, with three of us, then two of us, and then obviously we started to recruit. But you need to make those decisions with a lot of thought in the background about what is right for the company, not what's right for the shareholders. You know, obviously your shareholders mean a lot, but as you as you develop through the company, you, you realise that the, the shareholding in the research capacity is only a small part of that journey. And investors really don't like, you know, shares that sit in academia, but not necessarily working within the company. So the best thing I would say you can do in, in relation to team is, is make sure that your founders are giving to the company from the outset and are are rewarded with that in terms of their sheer uh, association with it. But when you're recruiting, you also need to think about whether they're the right fit for company life, for startup life. It's not easy in a, in a young company. You're often required to work out with your skill set or, you know, uh, one for the team kind of thing. But at the same time, I think those that do enjoy startup life really start to thrive on it you know it's a fabulous working environment it's fast moving we have to be adaptable and we really appreciate each other's skill sets but we also come together and, and share a lot I don't know Al, if you want to add anything in there to set to Senya's question I mean I, I agree I agree with everything you said Anne but um, I think it's been tremendously powerful for us to have two founders involved in a business not just one because it, it is difficult at times 
you know, there's, there's, there's lots of work to do. As Anne says, you've got to cover lots of different bases, sometimes in the same hour, sometimes in the same kind of 10 minutes. So there being two of us and having known each other for quite a long time before we spun out meant that Anne and I kind of knew each other kind of pretty well anyway. And we, we trusted that um, we were, well, we were both going to leave the university at roughly the same time completely to take the company to market. So we knew that we were both kind of fully committed to it. And yeah, I think, I, I'm not sure if there's many uh, other companies in, in kind of similar positions as us, but I think that's definitely made us really uh, resilient and really robust to change because it's really useful to have two different perspectives on things as well. So you can fight well, if you like, in terms of what's the best thing for the company and you can can mull things over and just have a chat about it. So we've got that between Anne and I, but then we also have our board as well that we can can speak to almost at any time. Uh, I think that the only other thing I'd say on on team is that we've we've really benefited from kind of local programs. Well, I I suppose it's national, but we benefited locally from the Scott Grad program for for hiring people. Two of our our current staff came on board initially as as Scott Grad employees, where you get a certain amount of funding back for kind of gross salary. And uh, for each one, you know, we probably had about 10 applicants for each position. And the two we got have done fantastically well and are moving up through the company now, making the jobs their own and and really progressing fantastically well, having greater responsibility. And, and they're they're still with us. So we're obviously doing something, something right, but we benefited from programs like that that are well run and uh, and give us some some funding back too. Absolutely, and it's great to hear about you know your your co-founding relationship, how it all started, and yes, te- team culture and company culture fit is is really important because even if somebody is brilliant, intelligent, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean mean that they fit your your company and, and and what you're doing. So that's that's really interesting. If you could maybe for someone who's listening in share the most important lesson about maintaining a good co-founder relationship. I'd love to hear it. I think one of the best things is identifying each other's strengths and appreciating what they are, but also identifying each other's weaknesses and supporting each other with those or supporting indeed the team with those. Um, I think that's one of the key things that that helps a co-founder relationship and also being able to adapt. I mean, both Ali and I have, you know, been quite agile in the way that we work and that's helped us a lot. But definitely, you know, I know Ali's got much stronger um, skill set than I in, in things like physiology, etc., where we're, we're looking at aspects of the human body at, at work and, you know, I value his input and I will always include him in those meetings, for example, because my skill set there is not as strong as his. That's one thing that's really helped our journey. And the other is that we both have an appreciation of of being able to and, and the importance of adapting. We haven't kind of fallen in love with our product. That's one of the key things that has really been driven into us as we've gone on this journey is don't be wedded to your product for the, from the outset. We've had to adapt the product to the market that's required. And both Ali and I had an understanding of that from the outset, that what came out of the university is not necessarily what's going to be sold and an acceptance of that and a willingness to bring the team in to make the product fit for the market. I think if we had 
been wedded to the research from the outset the, the very first prototype that we had from the outset, I don't think we would still be here today. And, and I think that's a, a real lesson for startups is be prepared to adapt your product to market fit and make sure that the, the founding team have that same mindset. I think the, the only thing I'd add to that is that um, I think both Anne and I are very, we're both very similar, I think, when it comes to like spending decisions. And actually, that's probably one of the sometimes the hardest parts of the company because you think, well, if I spend more on something that I can move that faster and the risk is of, of not spending, then you might move slower or not add to your IP portfolio or hire people or, or whatever. So so we have actually, generally speaking, we're, we're pretty similar with spending decisions. We're, we're always looking for efficiency. We'll spend appropriately. If we need to spend big, then we'll spend big because we know that there's a high impact from it. We'd always assess the potential impact of spending beforehand and always think about, well, what does the cash runway look like? Can we afford to do that now? Or is it something that we, we would delay, you know, a little bit or whatever? So I think we've always been very similar in that respect. And finally, it's interesting just to see how we've kind of grown individually, kind of organically in the company. Because I'm not sure if we've been making kind of particularly kind of conscious choices as to how how we kind of get into stuff. But Anne's doing a fantastic job more on the commercial side these days, as well as keeping an eye on things like the R&D in every area of the company. Whereas I've probably fallen slightly less commercial. I mean, I, I'm in charge of the, the finance aspects of things, but I'm probably more looking at the operation side of things and, and, uh, and R&D and, and liaising with the tech team. But that, again, as Anne says, that's actually worked well. We're both covering gaps that we have, but it's probably suiting us better nowadays that we have that quite defined roles. So that's been great. Yes. And, and you know, knowing each other and knowing each other's strengths as the key to success, I guess. And that's what it sounds like. I was going to ask something that uh, Anne touched on earlier. We're talking about shareholders and investors. Uh, and please feel free to share as much as you can or uh, you're allowed to say. But does the University of Aberdeen own any shares in MIME? In, you know, what does this amount depend on? How, how does that whole thing help or prevent you going forward? Yes, um, Aberdeen University does have a shareholding in MIME. It's the same ordinary share structure as, as the other shareholders. And we were delighted at, at the beginning for Aberdeen to be part of that because, you know, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Aberdeen University support. So very grateful from the, for the support they gave us from the outset. I think as we go forward, the association with the, a university as a university spin-out has, has helped aspects of that credibility in the early days. Having early discussions with potential clients or, you know, the entrepreneurial competitions when you're very, very young and, and trying to make that early traction to get some cash in the door to start the company off. Being associated with the university was, was very positive there. Also, you know, Aberdeen has a strong medicine school and health school. So we came out of the Centre for Rural Health. And I think that association has, has really helped going forwards. As we move forwards, I, I guess we kind of we're moving away from academic life into the business world, but very much still appreciate the support that we get from the university. 
Yes, absolutely. And and like you say, you know, the credibility and, and where you started is very important. So it's it's great to hear you had a good experience. And, you know, recently, I think, you know, asking all these questions, I think a lot of academic entrepreneurs would be interested in hearing hearing your insights, but and hearing this whole journey that MIME has been on. There's been a lot of, in the last couple of months, discussions around university spinouts and, you know, Europe versus the US, what could be better in Europe and the UK. I think it's Nathan Benesh who wrote an article, an opinion piece in Financial Times around this whole thing. One of the things I read there was that of 116 VC-backed European unicorns, only four are university spinouts, which is quite a low number. So, you know, now being in the industry and maybe looking back at the process and, and you know, everything you went through, what are the areas for improvement? You know, is it availability or access to finance? Is it having clearer processes and structures in place? Is it maybe more time and more support from the university? It'd be great to hear your your kind of reflections on that. Wow, that's a, a strong statistic. I hadn't realized that, Senia. I think one of the challenges being a university spin out, well, there's a couple from the outset. The first is obviously generally the universities tend to have a share in the company and that needs to be at a right level. It may put investors off if the university has too high a share. For mine, you know, we, we negotiated that shareholding acceptable to both parties and kind of average for Scottish university spin outs. But I see one of the key problems time after time after time in a university spin out is you have these amazing scientists, amazing people who are used to academic life and not necessarily are they used to business life or commercially minded. And they want to take their innovation, which is possibly, you know, strongly IP protected, might be the next biggest thing into the business world. And if they don't have somebody on that team that is commercially minded that can actually drive the business forwards, then you could have the best innovation from the university ever and not get further forward. So I do think that at a strategic level, we need to be supporting these spin-outs with commercial support. I mean, in Scotland, they have a commercial champion program where they identify support for spin-outs if they don't have the right skill set. They, they, they might have the science and the, the absolute science that they need to take that innovation and turn it into something that's going to make revenue. But to actually scale at a high level, they also need the commercial and business uh, acumen that goes with it. So I think that's something that we always need to be mindful of and, and, and we can always do better in. Perhaps by comparison, startups maybe have a bit more of that commercial um, input from the outset and perhaps that makes them more successful. But I do think that that's something that we can work towards um, as a university spin out. You know, just being mindful of that from the outset, making sure you get that structure of your company right, you have that commercial person on your team then your likelihood of one investment to success for revenue generation will be better. That's very true. And you said something about business acumen. To follow up on that, there are so many ways to get that business acumen. One of them is participating in incubators, accelerators, various startup support programs. How do you pick the right one for you? What should you be looking out for before deciding to participate in, in, in one of these programs? 
That's a really good question. And actually, somebody asked me that a couple of days ago. And talking in depth about it, I realized that actually, you've got to go into these programs, knowing what you want to get out of them first. I mean, there's there's more genetic, you know, incubators for really early stages. And some of them are specific to subject, like for us, we participated in part life science at the beginning when we were you know, we'll focus on a medical technology developments. But as we grew, you know, we're looking at our markets that we sell into. I think choosing a, an industry-specific accelerator can be particularly beneficial. I've seen a massive difference in relation to the networks that we've created, having um, being on the Boeing program, that program specific for aviation, really, really connected to what we do. But I think even... Even then, we needed to come onto that program with an agenda. For us, we wanted to finish the 12 weeks having some form of airworthiness testing that we can show clients that how the product performs in the air. And, and we had that aim from the outset. We talked to, even at the interview, going onto the Boeing program, we were interviewed and we had to present and they asked a question of, you know, what is the outcomes that we were looking to achieve? And we knew those from the outset because you can get lost. These programs are very intense. They're very time consuming. I think I lost three months of my life between January and March and um, working in the company and then any other hour on the program with the team. So you, you have to set goals from the outset and pick the right accelerator for you. Everyone will be different. Everyone will look for the, the, their own, um, you know, particular learning need we've been on two one was an earlier stage when we were just spinning out for the university it was fantastic as Ali said we learn all about the lean startup model that really helped us at that you know spin out first year of, of business life and then as we've progressed we've looked for an industry specific accelerator to one make us understand more about that market and get really in depth into that market space but two also just to have some commercial objectives associated with that so th there's lots out there for for companies to choose from but um be careful of what you choose from the outset and always make sure that you have a goal in that program set yes that's very true and being very clear about what you want to get out of the program is so important because it does take up a lot of time and kind of take you away from the business for for a little bit. So that makes sense. I think we have time for one more question to wrap up this episode. You know, what would be your single piece of advice for academic entrepreneurs who want to, you know, spin out their company? Um, what What is the single piece of advice that you would share? I think mine would be build a team. I think, uh, as Anne says, you, you, you could have a fantastic product, lots of IP, fantastic kind of opportunity. But if you don't have that, um, if you don't have that team around you, that's, you know, a kind of a quite an eclectic team thinking holistically about, you know, both having uh, R&D experience, but the commercial side of things. But, you know, it's going to be commercial stuff that's appropriate for the, the stage you're at as a company. So it's there's no point having someone come in who's been, I don't know, they've had like a billion dollar company before and, and you're trying to uh, work on a very kind of small scale to begin with. So, so mine would be, uh, would be build the right team to begin with. Yeah, I agree with Ali there on team. One person told me once that you need to be prepared to drink a lot of coffee and sit down and speak to people. And that's something that we, we did a lot of in the early days, not just in industry, but also investors. Be prepared to listen to the feedback that you're getting from them and be prepared to absorb or even ad adapt because you may start to see 
you know, a pattern in what they're saying. If they're feeding you back the same thing and it's something that you haven't got quite right in your company, let's say, for example, that might be intellectual property. Maybe you haven't filed a patent or something yet. Really look at the feedback that you're getting and absorb it. Don't be of a particular mindset that you're you're going in one direction and one direction only because a startup journey is is, is really not that. Your, your, your journey is a bit I like drawing a squiggle on a page. You go in every direction before you go forwards. So learning from people that have been there before, learning from and absorbing feedback from investors will really help your journey and help you move forward. Thank you both. That is uh, excellent advice. Staying open-minded, definitely key and listening and, and networking and meeting people, all very, very important. Thank you for joining this episode of MetaTalks. It was so interesting to hear the MIME journey and be able to share your, your story and your insights with uh, our listeners. So thank you, Anne, and thank you, Alistair. You're welcome. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Meta, head to our website, meta.partners. This is where you can find our blog, our LinkedIn page, and more information about the Meta team. If you have any questions about today's episode, or if you want to share suggestions for future shows, reach out to us on Twitter, at MetaTalks. It's all one word. The team is on there as well. We'll be back with a new episode of the podcast, MetaTalks, soon, so stay tuned.